What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And this week, I am really excited for my guest. And I know I say that every single week, but it is true every single week, y'all. I have dope guests. Anyways, before I dive into the conversation and introduce you to the guest, I just wanted to remind y'all of some quick ways that you can support the show. Number one, the Patreon page. Join the real fam. I have um, supporting ranges starting at $3 a month. And with that support, you are essentially buying me a coffee each month. But in return, what you're doing is actually empowering the show to keep going. Um, It's not free to put out this podcast. And also, you're going to be joining a dope community of people who love the show and want to have real conversations. So check out the link in the show notes. Um, Two, other ways to support the show is by sharing the podcast and also leaving a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods. Now on to my guest. This week, I had the homie, my friend, my neighbor, literally, she lives across the street from us, and sister, Tanya Meron Perez, come through on the pod to chop it up. All right, so we've known Tanya for less than a year, um, but she quickly became um, one of our dear friends. After a few conversations with Tanya, I knew I had to get her on the pod. I mean, um, she is just a dope person all around. She um, is a fierce advocate for social justice issues, and, and she's always on the up on all kinds of things. And you could just we just immediately clicked when we when we met. And so um, she's not only a fierce advocate uh, for social justice issues in her own personal life, but she also does that for her nine to five. Tanya is the training and strategy coordinator at Be The Bridge. And Be The Bridge is a nonprofit org that does some great, great work in the racial equity space. I'm pretty sure some of y'all have heard about it. Um, But if not, I'm gonna drop a link for them to check out their stuff because they provide great resources for folks um, there. So that'll be in the show notes. Um, But in this conversation, we talk about, you know, her big move from the South to the West Coast a few years back. And for my Southern listeners, because I know I got a lot, shout out y'all the West Coast, Best Coast, Um, and then what it was like for her to, you know, find and cultivate a community in the middle of a pandemic. And then finally, we talk, we spend a ton of time talking about her passion behind her advocacy work because she does a lot of it. But here's Tanya. So uh, we've already been talking for a little bit, but I, what I love to do is like have my guests kind of like share who they are a little bit, Um, give your own little bio, how you would describe yourself for the real fam. Um, Okay. Well, I feel like I'm still pretty new at doing that. What that means for myself. Um, yeah. yeah, well, my name's Tanya and um, it's actually pronounced Tanya. Um, there we go. That's my name. Um, and um, I am a first generation Mexican-American. Um, so my parents were both born in Mexico um, and they immigrated to the States um, out of pretty young age um and they met here in the states um but i was born and raised in north carolina in the good old south um and nice live on the west coast now thank god <laughs> um <laughs> and um I'm in enneagram one because apparently that's what everyone does now is describe themselves by their enneagram so <laughs> um <laughs> i live now in long beach yeah. I don't know. I feel like I I have a lot of different things that could describe me. Um, I am creative. Um, I enjoy doing like outdoor stuff. Um, I am also like very passionate about um, social justice issues in 
unlearning a lot in general as a whole as it pertains to like different things that I grew up like learning like historical facts and stuff and like mm-hmm. relearning different things like re- relearning like what my faith means to me like what who I am as a person like what is even like Latinidad mean to me like what does that whole aspect mean I'm hoping to like be able to do by the end of the year um like an ancestry thing and like just learn more about like my family's history both my mom and my dad um and like what comes with that in regards to like colonialism and um all of that aspect like there's just a lot there that I feel like I'm in the middle of figuring out (laughs) um I feel like all but I feel like all of those different things like kind of sum up who I am because I am like a very I dabble in a lot of different things. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to be like this, this one sentence or a couple sentences or whatever kind of describe who I am because it's like, well, it's not the full picture of who I am. Um, Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's very broad and like a lot of different um, paths kind of meet up to like who Tanya is. I love that. I love that. And we're not, yeah, the multi hyphenate. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, and you talked about a little bit about like your journey and who you are, but I, I would love to to hear kind of, you know, what brought you Southeast, would that be Southeast, South, whatever, yeah. uh, over to the, over to the West Coast? Well, what brought me over here is very different to like what I'm doing now. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's like, there, it almost doesn't really exist. I mean, in a way, I feel like maybe it does. Um, but like, what originally brought me here was, um, uh, helping do a church plant like helping launch a church um because living in the south and even just kind of like my faith in general um cut it was originated from like the white evangelical sphere um and like the sbc sphere um and then like Mm -hmm. moved out to the west coast because i felt at the time which like again it kind of bleeds into like me figuring out what my faith means to me now but like at the time I felt like oh this is what God's calling me to do is to like help plant this church in Southern California where I've never been I am not familiar with the demographics the area at all but this is what God's called me to do um (laughs) and it's just a lot there so so much there so much there I saw what you did there T I saw what you did and uh but it's it's funny because it's like like it's a weird interesting part of my story and my journey that I think I'm still kind of like diving into what all is there um and like having grace for Tanya five years ago that believed in all of that um but also like I do think there is a reason why I moved out here like I feel like this is where I truly belong like I've really developed like a community here um and been able to discover parts of me that had I not moved out here I don't know that I ever would have discovered those parts of me Mm. while like being here like I feel like I would have almost like stunted my growth um of like who I am now um had I not moved out here so it's like interesting to see like Whereas I'm like no longer involved with that church plant and even just church in general, like I'm, I haven't gone to church in like, I don't even know how long <laughs> it's been. Yeah. a few years. Um, But all that to say is that's what moved me out to the West coast. And then like, 
I just built community. Um, it took like five years of building community, but I feel like I'm finally at a place where like, these are my people. This is like who I want to be around. This is who I want to watch their kids grow up and like hang out, you know, like make memories with them. Like, that's what I want. That's what I like want to have in my life and like have that kind of relationship with the people in my life. And I have that in California where I'm like, it's very hard for me to a picture myself anywhere outside of of where I am. <laughs> like I can't, yeah. I don't, I could think about like, where would I move if I were moving or I'm like, I nowhere, every other place yeah. is not good enough. <laughs> and then also it's like, I don't want to leave these people. Like these are my people. I don't want to leave them. It's in fact, why I came back from Portland. So I was like, no, that's where my community is. Like I, that's who I want to be with. But yeah, so that's kind of what brought me out here and like why I'm still here five years later. <laughs> mm. There is something like, I want to highlight because it's just like really beautiful. It's like you came out here with like one goal and mission and like that did not go according to plan at, at all. Um, I can resonate. Something like pulled you here and like kept you here. Something grew out of that. And I'm not yeah. trying to gloss over like all of the bullshit essentially of like yeah. what white evangelicalism is in the US. But like just knowing you now, becoming friends with you now, like I am like so glad that we're neighbors. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so yeah. glad that we're we're friends, you know what I'm saying? And, and a sister of mine because North our, the Carolinas can't have you. Like they can't have you. Portland can't have you. I'm glad you live in Long Beach, you know what I'm saying? So I think I think yeah. uh I think all of us unfortunately have come together, like our community has come together somewhat similar circumstances and like mm. we talk about that pain and trauma there. Our community is healing. Yeah. that we were longing for it's just ironic that we were longing for a community in that space couldn't find it and then like we got hurt so bad in that space and then like we're coming together galvanizing together and we're finding healing in that way yeah. like that's just wild to me yeah it it, yeah. it is really wild I think about it often and even just like um with Tyler and Suba who like brought our whole little community together yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I I do think about it like often I'm like it's just wild to me that like like you said like in that community of like the church plant is like what that was what I was looking for but it was so difficult to find for me unfortunately it was just so difficult to find there and like mm -hmm. coming out of that it's been easier to find and like build like what is supposed to be community it feels like people talk about in the church and then like that didn't happen nor was it able to be modeled but it's happened like organically here with our neighborhood pod um and like in that like still some of those people like from that church plant are now still like kind of what's left over <laughs> reminiscent of that um but are now in our community and it yeah it, it is pretty wild I'm like I I just never I feel like if you would have asked you know Tanya when she first moved here like is this what you would have thought would have happened or would you believe that this is how it would have turned out I'm like ah no like that's not <laughs> that's not yeah. possible but it is pretty crazy <laughs> yeah yeah so we've been hanging out with friends in Portland and they were just asking yeah. us about like moving to Long Beach and how that's been. And I think one of the things that I was really shocked by is like moving to community, moving to Long Beach and immediately finding community um, because that was the biggest fear that me and Lynn's had, especially like being in the middle of a pandemic and like trying to find friends because church was not going to be that thing. We don't plan on going back to church anytime soon, probably ever, at yeah. least me. 
I think it was the first week we moved in and then like we were already hanging out with y'all um by that weekend like yeah. and then like we hung out again the following week it was just like that's just cool that's just cool yeah and that was just that cool, like all that. the time it's like if we don't hang out it's like wait what are we doing yeah it's like wait is everybody okay like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure especially like you said like during the pandemic I feel like even when I lived in Portland because I was only there for a year and like the first six months like I had a job and it was much it's definitely much easier to at least find some sort of community whether it, it may not be like your permanent community like your solid inner safe community but it's still some sort of a community like if you're even going into work or if you're like constantly around other people but then the pandemic mm -hmm. happened and it like really isolates you and it's like at that point yeah I feel like a lot of people unfortunately were um kind of forced to reckon with like who exactly is my community and like what does that mean and like mm -hmm. unfortunately for me living in Portland like I was still getting to know the, the place I didn't really know a whole lot of people so then it was like I got unemployed so it's like well not I don't have my work community either so like now what and so it yeah. is hard to then have to like follow these guidelines like make sure you're wearing a mask make sure you're social distancing make sure that the other person is doing that and to try and find friends like on top of that like that's stressful i mean it's already hard to find friends as an adult as is yes um yeah. <laughs> so yeah to then like add a pandemic on top of that like makes it even harder so yeah so earlier you had talked about kind of some changes that you experienced even coming over to um, moving over to the West Coast and you wouldn't have found those changes or gone through those things if you hadn't come here. Find a community, not really having that in Portland and, and moving down. Was Is there a connection between those two and kind of have you found a landing place um, with those changes that you've experienced? Um, I feel like there is. I mean, I think at, at the root of it, like it definitely is like A, trying to find community, but like I said, you know, moving, had I not moved out to the West Coast, like I wouldn't have experienced like a lot of the different growths that I experienced while like being here. Like who I am today is like very different from 2016, Tanya. Yeah. Um, and who believed in like um, eva evangelizing, is that what it is? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and stuff. Um, and like with like that was like and I would beat up my beat myself up over like not evangelizing enough and like all of these things and like but at the same time like I feel like part of me while in that world like still questioned some things because I was like a fairly new believer at the time. Even though like mm -hmm. as I like I said before, like I'm still like un unlearning a lot of things and like even just trying to figure out what my faith means to me in general but like even though like I grew up I grew up Catholic like Mexican culture mm -hmm. is Catholicism so it was like these aren't new things to me and like I guess to some extent like I do as I do believe in God so like I to some extent I do believe like God's hand has been on my life whether I've mm -hmm. known like exactly what it like how it was but I think recently I've like kind of discovered like been able to see where like his hand has kind of pulled me out of like mm. a space and like this space is kind of enough for you and like I want to protect you and like pull you out after moving out here like now I feel like I'm just constantly reminded of like thank god that like I was pulled out of that and not in that I don't know how I would have like reacted to the things that have happened these past 
four, six years, had I still been on in North Carolina going to like an SBC church, like I don't I don't know how Tanya would have reacted. Um, and even now, like doing the work that I do now here in like remotely from where I am, I'm like, I don't I don't know if that would have been an opportunity that would have opened up or that I would have like opened myself up to, you know, working, yeah. uh, being out here. But like, even even while like going to like being in that sphere at that time, like, I remember like questioning myself, like, e- even in regards to like, I know it's kind of all over the place, but like, being like a part of like, um, the white evangelical world, like I felt like there was still part of me where I was like, I don't know, like some of these things don't line up. Um, and then like moving out to the West coast, it was kind of like this, like almost like peeling off, like, (laughs) I don't know, like stuff off my eyes or whatever. It was like, no, like all of these things matter. It's not like one matters more than the other. Like there's no like oppression Olympics, like none of that, like all of these things matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like living in Portland in the place that I worked at, it felt like I was again, kind of back at the same in the same like area that I was when I was in, in the East coast. Like it was like, I was having to kind of pick and choose like what I want to, I mean, what I want to like advocate for, what I want to like, you know, have myself talk about and um, fight for. And I just, I just didn't feel like that was like what was right. I mean, ultimately like it was decided for me, like <laughs> you don't have a job here anymore because of the pandemic. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, so, um, but I do like reflecting now on it. I'm like, I, yeah, it was kind of the same thing. Like I was having to pick and choose when like, again, like that's for me, I, I, that just doesn't sit well with me. Like if, if there's an injustice, like I'm going to fight full speed ahead for that cause to make sure that that is not a thing that's happening. I don't know if that answers your question mm-hmm. like all over the place, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hey, you know, that's how I'd be doing. So <laughs> they'll get it. They'll get it. Uh, so, well, you, you touched on something cause I, I'm really curious. So um, you're obviously passionate about these issues and, and you kept being in places where nobody was meeting that passion or even like wanting to like partner with you or support you in like pursuing that passion for advocacy. But where does that like, come from where does that passion come from for for advocating for people that might not even be in the same positions as you just just fiercely advocating for them yeah um so i i have actually like thought about that after reflecting this past year and like un unpacking a lot of things like that come with my identity and who i am i like was listening actually to a podcast and um there were two women of color specifically um latinas that were on the podcast and like they were talking about they were talking about basically like how as like people of color as women of color like it's not really an like it's not an option to decide like oh i'm gonna be a part of this conversation or oh i'm gonna speak up about this kind of thing um like in regards like fighting for justice and that like that really clicked for me because i was like and then it started i started to like unpack different things, different experiences that have happened in my life, starting with my parents immigrating from Mexico to the U.S. and like just different ways that they have had to like advocate for themselves 
whether they knew it or not, um, being in a new foreign place. Um, and then I feel like, you know, it's in the genetics of like how, you know, who I am, but then also I think just being, being a woman of color, being first generation, like, I feel like all of that is, um, what I've, what kind of fuels like the passion that I have for advocacy, um, because of things that like I've had to advocate for my whole life. Like I've, you know, growing up as an immigrant child of immigrants, like I had to like, grow up, um, translating like legal documents for family members. Like I, you know, had to help translate for my parents, um, in different circumstances, different situations growing up. Um, like I, remember having to like go help my mom when she was interviewing um for uh different like houses to clean um like I helped as a teenager to like uh translate for her in the interviews and make sure that like what she was wanting to communicate like um as far as like pay and like different schedules and like um making like boundaries for herself was like being communicated clearly to this rich white woman that could potentially hire my mom and make sure that like my mom is not getting like taken advantage of. And that's like as a teenager. Um, and so like having to do that my whole life, I feel like that is what has fueled this passion for advocacy because unknowingly, like I was already doing that even as a child. Um, and I, like that podcast that I listened to, like, I feel like as women of color as people of color in general like that is something that we're constantly having to do for ourselves is to advocate for ourselves um because of the world that we live in no that's really good thank you so much for sharing that uh, and i'm thinking about like even my own experiences of I've, I've had to learn or even get the courage to like advocate for myself and i remember like the times where my mom even at like 6 to 8 years old like my if there was like an issue or something like that with like a toy or I needed to return something. My mom would like, Jonathan, like you need to like talk, call these people and like, this is what you say and I'll walk you through it. Or like go up to the counter and like, if you want to return this, this is your toy. You got to like talk to them and tell you, tell them what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's these ways that, that I've learned um, to go and, and, and advocate and, and do things that I need to do. Um, but some along, somewhere along the way, like I think there's people out there and I've, you know, having to relearn this as like an adult or, or college student or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like in this environment where like you are completely off guard or even the working place. Like there's so many areas that like I could do this out on the street. Like I can do this here. I could do this there. But like when you get into this new setting, it is like completely different. What would you tell those people who are trying to learn um, or even regain the, the confidence or courage to like advocate for themselves or advocate for others? Yeah. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point um, of even like corporate America, like having worked in corporate America before um, working in the nonprofit world where I am now, like it is very different. Um, and it it did take me a while, I feel like, to um, be able to advocate for myself specifically in the corporate world. Um because like you said, like it is very different, like when you're in like, you know, a workspace and like versus out in the street, um, it is very, very different because you are, I mean, you're jeopardizing a lot and specifically as, as people of color, you as a black man, me as a Latinx woman, like we're 
jeopardizing like our own job as well in advocating for ourselves um, because of um, how, I mean, how everything's set up, how the system's set up. I definitely don't don't know that I advocated for myself enough in the corporate world. Um, I think I, I, I think now I'm starting to like be more confident, confident enough to do that now, um, than I was Mm. before. Um, and I think part of that being like, like, like I said, like I am, like we talked about, like with, you know, um, like learning your identity and like being confident in who your identity is and then being authentic to yourself. I think that is what can allow you to then be more confident in advocating for yourself in the workspace um, or for others in the like workspace, but specifically like the corporate world, because it is very much like here are the policies, here are the procedures. You just do what you're supposed to do by these like set of rules and then that's it and it's very like black and white um and there's really no room for gray i feel like in the corporate world like that's just doesn't exist um and so yeah. I feel like i feel like i i learned over time like there's definitely different instances where i like um different experiences that i went through where like i would beat myself up for not sticking up for myself as much as I should have specifically in regards yeah. to like with um white men that I've worked with but at the same time like allowing learning from that and then also like giving myself grace like in that moment because like I did the best that I possibly could with where I was at at that stage in my life but whereas now like I'm very much about like here are my set of boundaries um you know, here is where, like, I, there's a firm line that I won't let people cross in regards to, like, um, dehumanizing me, um, or not treating me with respect because I'm a woman, um, or anything like that. But I, I do think a lot of it does come from, like, like, just learning who you are as a human being, like, and your identity. Um, and then also, like, realizing that, like, we're all human beings. We all are worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. Um, the same, the same, just as you as a man, me as a woman, white people, they like, you know, come, they walk around the world, like it's, it's entitled to them and that's it. And like, I think recognizing that, especially if you are like a white person, but then also like recognizing that and being aware of that. And then also realizing like, oh, I'm not giving that same, that same level of respect and dignity to people who don't look like me um and I feel like that is kind of where what kind of stems like you know the level of advocacy that I'm passionate about is like just really look trying to see everyone as like a human being that's worthy of being treated with dignity and respect and if I believe that of others then I have to believe that about myself too and then like advocate for myself to have that and be treated with that yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that that's gold of like, to act, like if I believe that about others, if I believe other people deserve respect, deserve dignity, then like also having uh, the self-love uh, for myself to like also put that on myself. Because what I was thinking about even when you were sharing is like sometimes I would be able to fiercely advocate more for other people and not for myself. Like I've always like not vibed with bullies. So anybody that's trying to bully or like, like I am, I'm, I love like roasting folks and it's funny, 
when it's funny, you know what I'm saying? But like, if we're going to talk bad about people or do this other stuff, like it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't like that when people just do that to just do it. So no, I, I love that. Um, and then also putting that same amount of care and attention and boundaries for, for other people for yourself. But I'm curious about for you, when did that like switch, switch for you? Like when did that, that turn on for you? I actually, you know, if I, I need to do this for myself more. Yeah. I really honestly feel like it was just everything that's happened these past two years, um, like 2020 and stuff. I mean, I think it was kind of, it was already leading up to it with just like 45's presidency and the way he depicted um, immigrants um, and then like the attacks on on immigrants um, specifically and like farm workers and all of that. And so it was it was kind of already building up from that. Then I think, you know, everything that happened in 2020 and like there was there was just this shift around me where I just was like, I am going to make a priority of being around more people of color um, and the voices that I'm listening to, that I'm learning from, that I'm sitting at the feet of being um, people of color, but specifically being women of color, um, because I realized that mm-hmm. that was something that I really struggled with is even just like working in corporate America. So I worked in the property management industry as an assistant property manager, and there weren't very many women that looked like me that could potentially mentor me. Um, and so like I kind of already knew that. And then when the shift happened from working in corporate world to then I was working for an ethical fashion company. Um, and even in that realm, from what I had seen from the circles that I was around, like it was all white women. Um, and in regards to like um, the anti-human trafficking, like it was all, there's all these great organizations, but they're all founded and led by white men or white women and then like so it was like always (laughs) it was always other people who are great at what they're doing but they don't look like me and I can't they're not they are talking about like you know advocating for yourself and like having self-love and all of these things however it's pertinent only to where they are as a white person. It's not pertinent to me as a woman of color, as a person whose parents immigrated to the States, whose journey and life story is very different from what they've experienced. So I think when that shift happened of like, I need to shift who I am learning from, whether it's directly like an actual mentor or um, like books that I'm reading or podcasts that I'm listening to, or even my Instagram, different webinars, all of these things. Like I, I think that's when that shift happened of like, oh, now I, when I made that shift, I was able to see that, no, we, we do deserve to take a space. And also like, we are more than capable, if not the, the ones to be leading the way in any kind of, of, um, advocacy work. But I think just in general, like having that, that ability to see these people in the leadership roles of, um, whether it's like a podcast or a book or 
influencers or um, different historical legends that have led the way and like made profound changes. Mm -hmm. Like we are here today because of them and that they are, they were like people of color, women of color, men of color, like seeing that I feel like for me was like, that was the, the push that I needed to like advocate for myself as much as I'm advocating for other people and also to like take up space and, this like I my voice does matter my voice does bring a lot of weight my experiences make me more than capable to be able to do this and speak with confidence about things still like having like definitely not like as if I know everything and I'm the expert because I'm not like you know but like speaking yeah yeah more certainty of like who I am and in my identity and I think that's when that shift happened and like now I mean, there's, there's so, it's definitely not enough, um, but there's definitely a lot more, I feel like specifically women of color that I see are like leading the way in different areas um, with like, even just like ethical fashion, or even like now that I'm getting more active with the outdoors, like seeing other um, people of color that are leading the way in like advocacy for, um, you know, diversifying the outdoors and like representation and accessibility to all of those things. Um, But I feel like had I not had that shift happen, I still wouldn't even like with in regards to outdoors, like even like picture myself out there like, oh, that no, like that is the place that I belong in. And I'm going to fight to make sure that I am having a space out there and also like bringing everyone else that's around me to that space because we all deserve to be there. We all deserve to take up space there. I think something similar happened to me because I, when I was preparing for this conversation, I was like, when, when and where did I get that confidence from? And it was because I made a conscious and purposeful decision to switch up the people I followed, the, the podcasts I listened to, because I very, I don't, I, there's a very limited amount of voices that I listen to that are white anymore. And those used to be all yeah. I, I did. And it was, and there are a lot of white people that have done some great stuff and doing amazing work and supporting communities and, and partnering with folks and even supporting and advocating for folks. But it does something different for me. And maybe this is what you're hitting at too, to see people that look like me, that could speak to my experience, that are doing this work and doing it just as well, if not better, with less than their counterpart, yeah. their white counterparts. You know what I'm saying? And like, and to learn from them and to like hear their stories and to like be able to like connect so deeply and not having to do this mental gymnastics with the white people you're listening to, (laughs) to find some connection. Um, It really, really does something for me. Yeah, Um, I feel like you also, I mean, we're avoiding, like you and I, our conversation, we don't have to like preface all of these things. Yeah. before we even get to the actual conversation which yeah. I feel like that's that's what that does is like it eliminates having to like preface all of these things of like here let me preface like how you may like infer my tone or like my backstory or like where I can like I don't need to do that because you get it yeah <laughs> um and I feel like that's what it does when 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 that shift happened it was like oh I can like I can just show up as myself and mm-hmm. like like they also like these different influences that I've of color that I made a conscious effort of making that shift with. They also are just showing up as they are and we're moving on from there and understanding like 
everything that comes with like my culture and my identity, who I like, where I come from, where my parents come from. Like, I don't have to like unpack all of that. Whereas like yes. having like listening to, you know, the white, white voices, like you're have, it's like, okay, but let me see, like you, we are having to like unpack all of that and like sift through that and be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I didn't grow up with that privilege or I didn't grow up with, as a white person. So like, yeah. I now have to like modify everything that I, that you just said or wrote or whatever to then apply it to my context. And we don't have to do that when yeah. we have like leaders of color that are speaking or influencers or um, different activists or different people that have done advocacy work. Like I don't have to do that with them because I know that like their context is similar to what I've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. And even aside from, even aside, because I want to make sure, because this conversation we're having right now, and I'm going to put this at the top, is like, it's not meant to like teach white people how to advocate. It really is speaking to those who have to advocate for themselves, unfortunately, POCs that have to advocate for themselves. So the difference is, and it's a very key difference, is that like, even if the black person, like, and I grew up low income, yada, 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 like, even if that person's like middle, upper middle, there is still like, that black person still has some family stuff, general stuff. That like we don't actually have to talk about and like we each know like there is some there is sayings there is things there is uncles aunties that yeah. <laughs> very similar that they had that, <laughs> that i had too you know what i'm saying and none of that has to be explained yeah but like prime example and i look i really do my old company i love my old company but there is a show that everybody watched a majority of the the, the of the company watched um, Shit's Creek or other some other other white shows. Um, the Bachelor, that's another one that was really popular. <laughs> that everybody like watched and like they would make jokes or drop a meme or something like that. And I'm lost. I'm like so lost because like legit, like I tried Shit's Creek multiple times. I just did not find it funny. Like it was not funny I to me. Watched it. <laughs> and then like the the bachelor, there's like these different contexts that like I would have to go back, watch the show, or like do a ton of research to understand. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just a very small like example of yeah. everyday experiences and living in like America or like a white dominant society that like, there's all of these things that we as people of color have to learn how to navigate on yes. the fly. But like when it comes to like this advocacy work or social justice stuff, white people want the answer given to them. Yes. And like, I have moved and shifted to a way of like, nope, you need to go download the podcast, read the book, have conversations, stumble through it like we did because like I've looked like an idiot in meetings multiple times. I've looked like an idiot in groups multiple times. Like all these different things, like you just got to figure it out. And so for PLCs who are like, ah, I don't know how to do this or I feel uncomfortable with that, like dive right into it because like they won't know and they won't get it unless unless you share it. And if you're waiting for somebody to advocate for you, very rare instances are going to happen like that. You brought up a really good point because even just like, like you said, um, a lot of white people, when it comes to advocacy work or social justice stuff, again, like you said, it's very much like, I need, I need the steps. I need the path of like what I need to do. And like you said, like Mm -hmm. as people of color, like we've had to do this our whole life and, and navigate both at the same time and like think nonlinear. And I think that's part of it is like, like, when people are like, you know, like what, what path do I need to do? And like, okay, I just read this book or I just went through this training. Like now what? And it's like, 
well what okay go back first of all <laughs> that's your question <laughs> first of all that's your question after that like you need to go back and do it again because you, you <laughs> get what was in there and what's mm. in there is that like you it's it's whatever sticks out to you like for me, I am always like, I mean, you know this, like I'm always like, <laughs> there's so many random like facets that I'm always like going down that it's, but that's kind of how it works. It's like going back to outdoors because that's what I was talking about like earlier. It's representation outdoors. And it's like, well, why isn't the re- representation outdoors? And like, what does that mean? And then like, you know, that then you'll find something and then it'll lead you on down to this other path. And then it'll lead you down to this, like the it doesn't just end like if it did and there was like one etch like final thing that like that that's what marks the end of all of these uh injustices we would not be where we are we'd be like okay we just got to solve that and that's it we're done exactly exactly unfortunately that's not how it works but also i think realizing like like going back to like non-linear it's like every everything is connected everything Mm. is connected um and i think like understanding that understanding the bigger picture of like everything is connected um and not like just i mean having the capacity and ability to not stick to like a linear thing like i can only handle this one thing like you said as people of color we've had to navigate both our own worlds as like you as a black man me as a latinx woman like my world as with my culture with my parents being mexican and like everything that comes with that and my family living here and stuff and our different inside jokes and like novelas that i grew up watching and and also having to at the same time like navigate and hold me going to school and having white friends and speaking english there when at home all i'm speaking is spanish like we're having Mm -hmm. to navigate all of these things together at the same time and you don't have a choice. Like life is not pausing for you. It's still going. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I think understanding that when it comes even in regards to like advocacy work or social justice work, it's like, it's, you're going to have to hold a lot of different things together. Um, and like that, that is encouraged and that's okay. And like, don't yeah. just like be like, Oh, I just have to do this one thing and that's it. Like, that's, that's not how it works. Like it's, there's multiple different things that we can always be leaning into and and yeah like I for me like I I feel like everything is just so interconnected like I feel like if you look into everything there's racism and everything um in one way or another yeah. you're gonna find it at the foundation of everything yeah absolutely uh, and I really want to give this person credit but I cannot remember who I heard it from or where I heard it from and they might have been quoting somebody as well but it was just like they said um like doing this work, actually, you have to be okay with like not coming to a resolution. And I think that's what whiteness is, has taught. Like, is that like A plus B equals C or step one, step two, step three, yeah. step four. Like, and it goes like that. And like this work actually does not work that way. Um, human work does not work that way. Emotional work does not work that way. Like it's laborious, it's exhausting. And then you have to wake up and do it all over again and figure out that there's things like you don't know. And yeah. it can be frustrating for so many people and especially especially white folks. But like, imagine, I just somehow imagine being like a black person <laughs> or or Latin, Latinx person, like trying to figure out like all the stuff. Like I just, I just, it's just, it's just so, um, so wild to me. And so you have to like re readjust and reshift 
these things so much and have to hold those things in tension, all of it, um, because you, you ah, that's so, that's so perfect. Like none of this work is linear. None of it's going to work. Like all of these things are happening all at the same time. Um, and you're going to stumble and fall and find out yeah. that you suck all the time <laughs> or not doing enough or not doing enough. Like yeah. I, I thought to Marcus uh, about um, a few episodes ago. So yeah, I, I really, that's, a, that's the quote of the episode right there. This work ain't linear. That actually might be the, episode, the title of this the title of this episode yeah, is <laughs> working linear. Um, but out of all the advocacy work, cause I mean, I watch like your Instagram, follow you on Instagram. And if you want me to, I'll plug your Instagram, you know, uh, and your stories. And like, we have conversations and then like the stuff you're watching and then the work that you do, your, your nine to five, like it is all encompassing of advocacy work. And I know for me that I do this stuff in part for living in part, like for passion um, and this podcast, Lord have mercy. So, uh, so out of all the advocacy work that you do, what is it the thing that you're hoping for the most? I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier, like for every human being to be treated with dignity and respect and for everyone to have an experience like true liberation. Like, I feel like that mm. when people see like, you know, my Instagram or my stories or the di- hear about like the different things that like, I'm either listening to or reading or watching. Um, I feel like that is like at the core what whole like what is similar between all of them. Um, because like there there's not there's not true liberation. There's not like fully everyone in that thing in that sphere being treated with dignity and respect. Um, and even going back to like my faith, like that is what I believe God wants us and hopes for like humanity is for everyone to be treated with, um, dignity and respect. Um, and Mm. so, yeah, I feel like that's kind of like what I hope for the most. Um, and it actually kind of goes to, so I recently started reading, um, Angela Davis, Davis's book, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. She kind of talks about that, but like in the beginning of the book, actually, um, there's an excerpt that is like in the forward. So it's not even um, Angela Davis's um, like writing yet. It says, which I feel like this kind of like, like summarizes what I was talking about in regards to like liberation for all as well. But it says, um, the powerful has sent us a message, obey, and if you seek collective liberation, then you will be collectively punished. In the case of Europe, Mm. the violence of austerity and borders where migrant lives are negated, allowed to drown in sea buffer zones. In the case of the United States, black and native lives are systemically choked by an enduring white supremacy that thrives in oppression and settler colonialism and is backed by drones disposition of territory and identity to millions, mass incarceration, the unpeopling of people and resource grabs that deny that indigenous lives matter and that our planet matters. All around us and up close, we are being told not to care, not to collectivize, not to confront. It is easy to feel discouraged and simply let Mm. go. There is no shame in that. We are, after all, engaged in a struggle that seems if we took a if we look at it using the mainstream political framework and through a mass media prism unwinnable on the other hand if we take a step back and look at things from a broader angle reflecting on what is happening all over the world and the history of struggle and the history of solidarity movements it becomes clear sometimes even obvious 
that seemingly indestructible forces can be thanks to people's willpower, sacrifices, and actions easily broken. It's in everyone's power to partake in the struggle. Mm. And I feel like that kind of like sums up what I was talking about, like what I hope for the most, because it touches on like so many different things, like even in regards to the planet, even in regards to indigenous people, even in regards to black people um, and uh, like the struggle against white supremacy and settler colonialism, which is like, again, I'm sure like, you know, what you see in my stories and like what I share, it's like a little bit of all of that because they all like, we all, that's all a struggle that we all are partaking in. Um, But like the end goal is like, Mm -hmm. for me, like the hope, what I hope for the most is like liberation for all. Mm, That's really good. I think sometimes it kind of gets lost uh that oh we this is the job of like a few right like i have like a platform and i'll do this i'll do that and and the reality is is like it actually takes all of us like literally mm-hmm. all of us like if um if the people that like the the oppressed and like white people are in this too like white people are are caught up in white supremacy just as much as me as a black person and you as a latinx person like it 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 uh, it it envelops all of us. And so it takes all of us to dismantle it. Like MLK was not killed because, you know, he was just fighting for right. black folks and civil rights. Like MLK was killed because like white people started to galvanize, poor white people in particular started mm-hmm. to galvanize with the black struggle. Um, also Latinx people, mm-hmm. Asian people, all of, us start, all of us started to galvanize together. And like he was system- systemically killed, and he yeah. was he was murdered. He was murdered because like people were starting to get behind that message, um, and the powerful, the rich, were afraid of that because they wanted to keep their power and their riches, you know. Yeah. And so like we together as people have to collectively recognize that it is our responsibility to not only advocate for ourselves but to advocate for others. And, and, and smart, start as small as you want, start as big as you want, but yeah. it's not going to be those people that have like a gigantic platform. Their no. their role in it is to advocate as much as they can, but to also inform and to, and to and to do that. And some people don't necessarily take the inform; they're just literally just working and doing work. But yeah. like that's what that's what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it is is absolutely wild. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I see you. No, you're good. Um, yeah, but I mean again, Angela Davis like talks about that in her book too. She specifically like states that she's like, you know, it's not like we have to get away from this idea of like one heroic individual and same, Mm -hmm. same example that you just talked about in regards to MLK. Um, she gave the same exact example, um, and realizing that it's again, like it's a, it's an ever expanding community of struggle. Like it's, it's all of us together. And like, um, this, uh, I believe his name is Frank, Barat um stated in that um excerpt like it's it's a collective struggle but also like there is there is power in the collective there is power in the masses there is power in the people um and it's why why we've we've come as far as we have there's definitely like a long like so such a long way to go with like a lot of different things happening um however like the changes that have happened is because it's been a power collective mass movement of people who have made that change like it's not just one person by themselves absolutely i i love that and uh, and i think even the change that we're advocating for and fighting for 
is not just like equality, but like justice. And I'm going to do a selfless plug here because I need to. It's like I will have like a breakdown of like the differences in my Patreon, but you got to join the Patreon to like get that breakdown. We'll have a live Q&A with like some folks too of like breaking down what equality is, what justice Mm -hmm. is, like what equity is. And really like talk in depth about what that means when it comes to like advocacy and social justice work, because there, there seems to be like this convoluted idea that they're all the same and they're definitely not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know for myself, I know that I have to just advocating constantly putting, even putting this podcast, like it is a form of advocacy, a form mm-hmm. of, of fighting for social justice and, and, and educating folks, even in my own personal business that I'm doing common culture, shout out to you. Uh, but uh, I'm curious because I'm trying to still continue to find ways to rest. What does rest look like for you? Um, I, I, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm still trying <laughs> to figure that out. Um, I think, well, I think like if, okay, it varies based off the season that I'm in. Um, and mm. so now that like, in the season that I'm in, like not only is advocacy something that I'm passionate about just in general, um, but it's also something that I'm in a way I'm doing as a full-time job. Um, so I have to be like more intentional of how I am incorporating rest um, in my life because it's something that doesn't get turned off <laughs> in regards to advocating. Um, yeah. Yep. And I mean, it already doesn't anyways, as is, as people of color, but especially when it's also your job, it doesn't was, get yeah. off even more. I was literally about <laughs> to say that. That's the, tis um, the life of a POC. Like it don't turn off. <laughs> it does not. It does not. So I just, I think I'm more so just being more in, intentional about like reading what my body needs um and then like adjusting Mm. based off of like what my body is telling me that it needs and sometimes that can look like I need time outdoors because you know I work from home I work remote so I'm inside all the time at my computer all the time and so like my body needs to move and my body needs to be out in nature because that is also another form of like refueling and reconnecting with the land and all of that that goes there is so much there (laughs) um but I feel like that is like you know one way that sometimes my body's like we need to go move either it's hiking or we go camping or whatever or go um bicycling or for a walk even just simple as that um or even Mm. like sometimes it's like my plants time with my plants sometimes is restful and like you know gives me more life again and like you know, soothes my soul and like comforts me where I like may have like a lot of tension, um, and not feeling like fully restful. Or sometimes it's like, I need to do something creative that has nothing to do with like what my work is or anything like that. And whether it's like, I don't know, drawing, like trying to figure out I'm doing like procreate. So like kind of learn that, um, or like reading. So it, it varies. It's like a lot of different things, <laughs> but it just depends on like what, um, yeah, what's going on and like what my body needs. And sometimes, sometimes it's just, I just need a good drink and hang out with our front yard against our pod. And then like, that's, yes. that's, I need. <laughs> but, like, that's just the chill time that I need with like my community, with my neighbors. Um, and that's like, yeah. So I think it, it it can vary just depending on what it is that I need. 
Yeah, I love that. I, I think I've said it before in past podcasts. Well, I'm not going to take credit for it. Isaiah Young said it, um, my boy. Uh, he, he said, like, like, you know, joy is a form of resistance. And any way that we find that joy, any way that we find that peace, it's a form of resistance, it's a form of healing. And so it should be treated sacredly, you know. And I was talking, somebody asked me a question because he's like, all right, so you talk about this in your podcast, you do this for your work. Like, as long as I've known you, you've always like educated people on this stuff. So like, what is more sacred to you? Setting those boundaries or like having those deep and intentional Mm -hmm. conversations? And I said, honestly, what is more sacred to me is like protecting my peace, protecting my Mm -hmm. mental health, protecting my joy. And that comes with like setting those boundaries. He's like, as much as I love this stuff and am passionate about this stuff, like I don't want to talk about it all the time. Like I, I use the example of like buying a home. Like I talk about buying a home, but if I'm talking to somebody and they're like, yeah, but redlining, man, you know, they were going to get you. I'm like, gee, I don't want to talk about, can I just dream? Can I just yeah. dream without, without white supremacy hanging over my head? Yeah. Like, you know, like um, I know it exists. I, I get it, you know? And so just taking really protecting and guiding that or protecting and guarding my peace, my joy, my dreams, my hopes, my visions, my everyday life experiences uh, is incredibly important to me. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Awesome. All right. T, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we ran over. I always run over with my guests when the, when the conversation is really good. Um, and I know Basically, you're- I'm done yeah. with work and I'm just okay. waiting for my flight tonight. So it's fine. I don't have anything else to awesome. do right now except go read my book. So. Okay. <laughs> And recharge. I love it. Awesome. And that is this week's episode, y'all. Thank y'all so much for taking the time to listen. Shout out Tanya again for checking it out. And don't forget to join the Real Fam Patreon page um, to support the show. The link is in the show notes. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. All right, y'all. Till next time. Peace.